and welcome to the Company Watch on the Spot podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good afternoon. We're recording today's episode in the afternoon of Thursday, the 6th of October. And what a week it's been since we, um, <laughs> since we last recorded. There, there you are, quoting uh, quoting quasi quoting, but um, but only with a week instead of a day. Yeah, I mean, it's just been, I think we, we recorded, didn't we, last Monday, just as the the kind of market turmoil was beginning to, to kind of show itself. You had picked up already on the, the issue with the gilts. I think we talked um, quite a lot about that. Um, and what is it, 65 billion? Well, not, we haven't spent 65 billion, but, you know, there's a 65 billion blank check um, being written later. And frankly, you know, we, we're getting more but by day, we're getting more and more um, information about actually what went on in those mm. those few days last week. So I think you, Nick, have, have kind of found our six areas of economic <laughs> disruption, which we're going to go through um, and talk about. And just I think that the, the the point really is that you know a lot of this is is kind of self self inflicted harm by the the number ten number eleven um, budget. But there is also a lot going as we've known for a long time. There's a lot going on in the world, um, and I think it's it's quite instructive to to look through. The different areas of life that 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 this kind of global and UK specific um, chaos is going to really um, cause cause some more disruption to. Right. So, shall I rattle through these? Why don't you go? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, where well, do we let's, start? Let's start where where a lot of people tend to look to see um, to get the get the mood music, and then that's the um, stock exchange equities. Um, highly volatile. I mean, the chart over the last month or so is just you know. It, it, it's enough to induce um, an epileptic fit if you if you look at it in the wrong light. Um, highly volatile. Um, and today, for example, when I checked at about three o'clock, I suppose, the market was down just under one percent. And I think I'm right in saying that earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, the index, the FTSE index was um, at the same level as it had been in 1999. Yeah. Yeah. So, as they say, you never lose with long-term investment in equities, do you? <clears throat> do you? And of course, do uh, do you know the, the difference? Well, about course, timing is the, mm -hmm. is the dividend income, and you know, so yeah. it's not quite that simple. But nonetheless, the stock exchange is very volatile. Um, interest rates is my second disruption point, rising rapidly, and of course, that. I mean, it's not the only. We're not the only place. You know, interest rates, um, mortgage rates are higher. In America than they are here, yeah. but we'll come back to, to mortgage rates. Rising interest rates, implications for the cost of servicing government debt. The latest estimate I saw for that was that it's going to cost 94 billion in a year to service the government debt. And of course, rising because inflation hasn't stopped. And it's tied, and most of the government debt is either tied to interest rates or inflation, isn't it? I yes. mean, um, yeah. yep. um, it's uh, rising interest rates, hideous implications for mortgages. And of course, the two year fix and the five year fix is uh, are now both over 6%, highest for 14 years. Although you do have to sort of um, just arm a little bit about this because 80% of um, residential mortgages are on fixes but well, this is very different isn't it from the 90s where you know overnight 
you know, people were finding themselves unable to service mortgages, but but they're coming up, aren't they? And I think it's a, a similar um, point that we've made with energy prices in the past, yeah. where lots of people are on fixes, but of course those those end, um, and it's a big cliff then um, yeah. when when those when those cheap deals end, and and the kind of cost of the the new deals are so so much bigger. Yes, and and um, of course, eighty percent are fixed, but one point five million mortgages come off fixes <clears throat> by the middle of next year. Mm-hmm. So mortgages are affected. Business borrowing costs inevitably are affected because, again, you know, although much less business finance is on, um, you know, the old-fashioned um, uh, variable rate overdraft, but uh, nonetheless, business borrowing costs for many companies will be going up. And again, that's from historic lows, isn't it? Because yes. let's not forget about the huge um, government-backed borrowing schemes that we've just kind mm. of come out of from, from COVID, which were, I think, 2% um, interest rates over six years. I mean, that's that's going to be a dream. And, and anybody who's got anybody who's been used to borrowing on that um, that basis will have a, a big shock um, if they come and, to, and to look at the feeds- market now. That, that you know, the, the implication, business borrowing costs go up, of course, business investment is inevitably inhibited yeah. because it's one of the factors, one of many factors in, in a decision to invest. But it's not an encouraging sort of backdrop um, to a decision uh, like that. So that's, that's interest rates. Um, gosh, canter through interest rates in, uh, in two minutes flat. Um, the biggie, I guess, in terms of immediate implication is the gilt market. And I don't suppose anybody, um, least of all those pension funds who hedge their interest rates with liability-driven investment techniques, thought that they would see what happened um, early um, early last week. And, and just to give you an example, I, I mean, I checked the 10-year gilt price and yield as of lunchtime today. 12.29 to be precise. And uh, it was up, um, the, the yield was up 3.5% on the day. So not by, not 3.5% on on 2% or whatever, but yeah. by 3.5%. The one-year change in the 10-year gilt yield is 289.5% in a year. So, so the yield is three times. So the interest cost is three times as high. Um, that of course feeds through into the pension fund market, and we'll come on to that with the Bank of England letter to the Treasury uh, Committee head, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, of course, gilt price falls, um, ironically, or yield rises, um, raises, uh, has that sort of perverse effect that uh, you know the initial reaction when that started happening. After the uh, after the announcement, the fiscal event was. I, I mean, I read a couple of tweets because I follow a couple of pension fund um, experts on social media, which said that's very good because it's cutting the liabilities of of DB funds, direct benefit funds, um, defined benefits funds. But of course, what nobody had figured until the rumours started to fly, this uh, um, sort of Monday Tuesday of that week was, of course, that so much uh, money um, was tied up in these liability-driven investments, which involved suddenly huge margin calls mm. because of the changes in the um, in the gilt prices. So obviously pension funds, uh, that was nearly the major disaster of all time. And then 
the other factor that's still rolling, roiling around in all of this in terms of people's perception is what exactly is the government's relationship now with the OBR? Because we had that image, didn't we, last week of the um, of the kind of three. Yes. I can't remember Richard's. Sorry, I can't. Remember. We've been on calls where he's where he's done his presentation, and they're kind of marching up Downing Street. And very short meeting, I yes. think it was over. It was over in forty five minutes, um, and then marching out again. Um, and really, and 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 I think again last week we had the publication of some correspondence from the OBR saying, well, we did offer. Yes. You know, we could have prepared the forecasts within um, the kind of remit that we're given, and they would have been you know robust enough, and that mm. was not wanted um so there there is a very very rocky and you know the conclusion that i think lots of people have drawn from that is that the government didn't really like what the obr had to say yes so you know whether that changes after a 45 minute yeah and of course you know for the for the conspiracy theorists um um i've I've heard it suggested that was a very good reason why this was not described as a budget on the on the 23rd but a fiscal event, because if it's a budget, the government is obliged to publish an OBR yeah. forecast. If it isn't, yeah. they're not. <clears throat> so, of course, now, unsurprisingly, um, the next um, announcement, which is going to be of this famous growth plan, so the supply side, sorry, the demand side of, mm-hmm. of this, um, is again not being called a budget. And, of course, th- that raises the suspicion that it, it, it gives number 11 the scope to say well we're not actually going to publish the obr forecast but i mean frankly if they pull that stunt again um i don't think the bank of england can afford to to bail them out again them in the markets because you know this this there's always been a sort of slight um uh uncertainty about exactly how influential the obr is and how how they sit together with the the Treasury and the Bank of England and political decision making, but um, you know the refusal to involve them was a key element in what in the market. I, mean, I think we've looked, um, you know, over the last couple of years when you know we paid attention to the OER forecast and we've been mm. on these calls afterwards, and there are some, you know, you read between the lines and you think, oh, actually, was there was there really as much cooperation from the treasurer as they would have liked? And mm. but it's all been very, but they've done it. You know, they've, everything has been has been where it's needed to be in terms of publication. Yeah. And you know, the the fact there was nothing this time, I think, obviously, was a big big scare to the um, to the markets. To the markets, and of course the. The final, my sixth um, disruptor, is the fact that we don't seem to be clear about exactly when we're going to see the growth plan. Because first of all, it's going to be the 23rd of November. Then it, the Treasury hinted that it might be earlier, it might be the end of this month. And then number 11 um, seemed to confirm that it would still be on the 23rd. So, you know, the when is a problem for the markets. Mm. The other big problem for the markets is, will it work? You know, will it create growth? And it's got to do really well, because if you look at the long-term trend of UK GDP growth, you know, I think it's only once one year since the global financial crisis has it exceeded the target that they're setting themselves with 2.5%. Mainly it's below, not much, in that arc between 25 and 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 2 but an awful lot of things has, have got to go right. And you've got people like the um, IFS saying they don't believe it. An awful lot of economists don't believe it. But of course, they're working on the basis of no information at all. 
You know, so those are the things that are going on. And that's why we've got on, ongoing turmoil. I mean, thank goodness the Tory party conference was only three and a bit days because um, five days of that. There's a wonderful cartoon in the in the Telegraph today uh, by, by Matt suggesting uh, in a big announcement at the Tory party conference saying um, great news. Um, delegates the Labour Party has paid for us to continue for another three days so it's relief all round that that has we're um, sort of back to business as usual and of course from the government's point of view parliament isn't sitting so it's not under the pressure that um, it might come under in terms of implementing um, the uh, the plans so I think you had an interesting point there about you know the 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 investability of the, if that's even a mm. word, uh, into the, the UK. And I think your your point was that it's actually, it, it's a government. It's the, unsta- it's the instability yeah, of the, the government. Comment, and The comment was it was in um, a piece um, published by, um, remind me who I said it was published by. We've, we've had to, we've had too many we've had so much many, kind of pre-discussion anyway, of this we've kind of lost all our sources. Major um, American um, news feeds. Bloomberg. It was Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Bloomberg, yeah, but yeah. UK, wasn't it? I think it was the UK. Far too, kind of far too busy day. Too much turmoil. Um, and Bloomberg um, quoting it's the UK end of Bloomberg, so not the American end of Bloomberg. But they were quoting um, an American uh, economist saying fundamentally until markets around the world believe that the UK government has got a grip, that the words he used were, the UK is uninvestable. Of course, it's not quite that simple, because there are an awful lots of lot, lot of reasons. And actually, fun enough, but, it, you should, but it shows, doesn't it, in the volatility, you know, we, we're seeing this yeah. in the volatility and everything else, you know, it does, it doesn't really, you know, look like, I mean, and, and I think it's only fair to say that there is kind of global turmoil you know that the, yes, this is not clearly not only happening in the uk but i think that the uk um actions of the government have have made it much more volatile than than other places um, yes and it's, got, it's quite interesting there's a there's a fascinating chart um in uh should we come on to the bank of Le- bank of england letter oh, let's. now this is this has had um the jaws of some of the most hard-bitten business and financial journalists i know hitting the ground in surprise, the Bank of England, uh, Sir John Cunliffe, um, wrote to Mel Stride, the head of the Treasury Committee, the House Commons Treasury Committee, yesterday. And the letter is, I think we must post a link to it okay. um, for everybody, because uh, I'm a devotee of, um, of, of disaster novels and indeed movies. Well, this thing reads in part just like one of those. It really does this sort of extraordinary explanation of what went on, mm-hmm. you know, day by up, day, kind of almost hour, hour by hour. And, you know, and our staff worked, you know, worked overnight to, to come up with a solution before they um, they came up with the with the sixty five billion uh, market karma gesture, um, uh, which of course let's not forget is only temporary and ends on the twelfth of October. So Although having said that, that we haven't, they, I think they were allowing up to five billion a day, weren't yeah. they? And that hasn't, they haven't had to spend all that. So they're under the, the spending so far is under what they were prepared um, yes. to spend. Yes, yeah, to be fair. Um, but I mean, this this letter um, highlights the fact that they they identify the risk that there would have been a fifty billion pound fire sale of gilts, which would have created a doom loop in the gilts market. 
and you know goodness knows where borrowing costs would have gone and it would have you know and pension fund of, pension funds have collapsed would have collapsed mm. on on this so um it is an extraordinary piece of um well you know you asked what was going on and here we are yeah, and and it wasn't us. And that's what I think that's interesting as well, because of course the Bank of England, the day before the mini budget, that's mm. not a mini budget, the fiscal event, um, the bank had come out and had underwhelmed the market because they'd only raised by um 0.5%, 50 basis points when the market had been accepting 75, and that hadn't yeah. followed the kind of what the Fed was doing. And you see it, there is a little, there's a little change um, you know, in the in the markets because of that. But then you have the 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 mini, well, almost to the minute, I think the mini budgets event. In this letter, there is a chart showing the movement on the 30-year gilt price or the yield or, you know, whichever way up you want the chart, you know, it's either the, the price or the or the yield. Um, comparing with, you know, across, this is from the 1st of September, so just before the new government, um, right through to the end of September, with certain timelines, starting with the with the well, the Bank of England, Bank the of England decision, decision yeah. then the fiscal event, the event, and then the Bank of England intervention, and what it shows, uh, and it it compares what happens to gilt prices with what's happened to the equivalent thirty year gilt in Europe and in America, and that's where you see that this was nothing to do with global events. No, every every market is trending in the wrong direction uh, around. Well, pretty much there are exceptions, but pretty pretty much. But this is this was the most extraordinary. I mean, it it, it it's just a shocker, absolute shocker. Um, what the the two other things that the letter highlights, which is a, an apparent surprise on the part of the Bank of England and the market in general about the implications of these liability-driven investment strategies. It's all been the other side, hasn't it? I think it all been really around the equity volatility, hasn't it? That, that yes. has been where the focus, and it was you know, assumed that these were these were the kind of the safety nets. Um, I and I don't and think there had been very much thought about what happens if the safety net had, um, had, had gone wrong. Well, no, that's true. And, and, of course, it's quite interesting. Andy Verity, the BBC's economics correspondent, you know, um, tweeted um, today, I think it was, you know, saying these funds had built-in safeguards, which would have been regarded as more than cautious, so mm. long as you didn't have a major sell-off in the bond market on a scale that's never seen before. And that's exactly what the mini-budget triggered, was record price falls in government bonds. And if you measure it over a four-day period, the increase in the 30-year gilt yield, or decrease in the bond price was more than twice as large as as the largest movement in the gilt market since 2000 and um, this was not what these wow. schemes were all about now it's interesting that the the market didn't seem to appreciate the risk and yet and yet um for those who are um devotees of really bad relationships over pension funds um i commend to you the story of what's been happening about the university superannuation scheme which is, right. represents something like 59 major universities oxford cambridge are in, all involved in there mm -hmm. it's been a running battle uh, because the the there was some there's been a huge dispute about the investment strategy and 
the deficit in the scheme and the answer to it. Anyway, uh, this is a 90, this is the biggest pension scheme in the country. It's 90 oh. billion pounds pension scheme. They apparently warned um, the universities who are the members of the scheme on behalf of the staff, mm -hmm. um, the beneficiaries, um, they warned the pension scheme about this some time ago. Oh, really? And allegedly, um, uh, I think it was, was it next or was it, no, it was LNG, I think, warned the Bank of England a little while ago and said, this is, you know, this, this is not without risk. So and nothing was done. And the, uh, but of course, you know, it's the other thing, this is all based on derivatives. Now, what drove the global financial yeah, crisis, I thought that was all been the derivatives that went yeah. wrong because things happened to uh, that was with um, you know mortgage default levels and daft mortgage lending. Well, you know, it's the old thing. Um, you know, if if you don't understand what you like, and I suspect most of these um uh, pension funds didn't understand what they were doing. You know, it's the old thing of um, snake oil salesmen mm. from some of the financial institutions. I didn't say that. Did I say that? No, I mean, I th it's hard, isn't it? Because I think that there is um, there there was a problem with funding these schemes. You know, that yes. you know, we we all know that there there's a big problem with the, with the defined benefits um, schemes. Uh, you know, that's why they're so they're very often closed to to new entrants, or the, the kind of nature of the you know certainly final sal salary schemes are, are closed and so on. So that we know that there's a problem with funding. And I guess if you're if you're being told of a way that you can you can kind of meet your um meet your responsibilities then yeah oh absolutely i mean defined benefit pension schemes in my view have uh, are and always have been ponzi's ponzi schemes absolutely yeah, ponzi schemes yeah simple as that yeah, yeah. very elegant and very and very and, and very worthwhile but they're ponzi's and the the other problem that this letter highlights, which has been, it's been going going the rounds um, in discussion among economics and economic um, pundits and commentators for some time, but it's now really up there, is the problem with the unregulated shadow banking centre sector. This is, um, you know, these are institutions uh, that uh, are not banks and are not caught by all the the regulation yeah. the heavy regulation in the uk and for fear that anybody thinks that this is just a little tiny bit you know corner of the market the latest calculation was that the assets of the shadow banking sector are now 40 billion pounds higher than those of the traditional regulated banking sector so it's not small it's not small um and of course the bank feels it has no vi visibility and the the worry is, uh, you know, and I suppose what's and actually what on, happens then is that the, you have a crisis and they have to act. There was no there was no question mm. that the bank had to do what it what sure. it did. And I think it, that's one of the things that's pulled out. You know, had the central bank not intervened, I think this is a quote from the FT article on this. It feared mm. there would have been a self reinforcing spiral that threatened severe disruption of core funding markets and consequent widespread financial instability. You know, it could have yes. really it would have got it, the contagion potentially in this was vast and so you know you, you've got some kind of unregulated sector when there is a crisis you have to just act in this yes. huge huge way um and yeah quite i suppose quite rightly the bank is saying we need to do something about we need and, to do something about a, this and there's a good reason why that operates in the shadows 
because they don't want to be regulated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if they were regulated, a good a good number of the things that they do and make lots of money out of um, would be frowned on. Mm-hmm. And they'd be required to keep um, higher levels of capital. It, it, it would, but that trickles everywhere then in the economy, doesn't it? If that if that yes. is required, then that has an implication for yep. for everybody who's part of those schemes and the the contributions mm-hmm. and everything else that would be um, that would be needed. So I think that's where where, where we are. I mean, I, I think let's post a link to that letter because I think for those who have the stamina to get through it, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it is, yeah, it's eleven um, quite dense pages, isn't it? But it is worth and the charts yeah. alone. Even if you look at the pictures, oh, they they right, tell um, they tell a story. They they do tell a story of a moment in time. It, it reminds me, of course, of that extraordinary day when um, uh, when RBS nearly went bust in two thousand eight. You know, within hours of running out of cash. That's this is what it reminds me yeah. of, and yeah. you know, various other things in the past. So that's where we are at right now, and quite where we go from here. We don't like to make predictions of what we're going to be talking about next week. No, because, I, I, I mean um, the, the answer is the you know there there are. I mean, it seems pretty clear that um, this turmoil in in world markets is not going to go away anytime soon. And interest rates, I don't think, are coming down anytime soon. Certainly never. I mean, this never is well, that was interesting. Over. This is interesting as well, because I think last week, the longer term range was up to 7% or something. And they have fallen back, but even still, it's 5 or 6% is, yeah. is the exit. So actually, you know, they're still, still very, very high, even if, you know, there's... And and this is across the across the world. Um, and I think we we're already talking about that. You were making the point. Um, an article in the Times about the, um, the the kind of the Fed tightening monetary policy tends to lead to recessions. Capital economics is saying there's a more than a fifty percent chance of recession in the US um, next year, and inevitably that will that will spread um, yes, to well, every, us every, and to Europe. Every, every bout of um, um, fiscal tightening in um, sorry, monetary tightening, tightening. Mm-hmm. in America in the last 50 years has led to a major global financial crisis, generally not in America. One of them was, but mm. not in not in America. Um, and that wonderful quote from somebody in, uh, at the Fed saying, well, that's the thing about the uh, the dollar. It's our currency, but it's your problem. And, you know, the, the more the Fed squeezes, the bigger the risks around the world. Mm. You know, and as, as as the article, as David Smith's article in, in today's Times says, you know, under these circumstances, this is no time for disruptors. And and I suppose one final thought about this, and it's really a sort of direct plea to to our listeners and 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 examining their risk profile, is we're beginning to get the first absolutely crystal clear evidence of changes in consumer spending behaviour. Here, because when you have got Aldi and Tesco in the space of a week, warning that there are major changes they're picking up in consumer spending patterns uh, because of the crisis, then if you have got risk with businesses that are dependent on consumer spending, tread carefully. You know, it's, a, sounds, it's a real yeah, reminder a, amid all this yeah. general noise. That's a, I, I looked at the Tesco results and the comments about them and just thought, mm, that is not a great sign. Yeah. 
I think that that's a that's a good a good place to end. I think um, again, look at those look at those critical risks um, yes. and really make sure you understand them. Good, Nick. Thank you so much. It's really really useful um, summary of of all the different like moving parts. I think that we're we're trying to to grapple with. As always, thank you so much. Thanks to everybody for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.